Have you ever driven somewhere, probably somewhere familiar, and you arrive, and when you get there, you think, wait, I don't, I don't remember getting here. I don't remember the trip. Uh, I've had that happen lots of times, and even in the middle of a trip, I'll, um, like, you know, on the way to Jeff City, it's sometimes like, man, why am I passing everybody? Oh, I must have already passed the speed limit sign. Uh, whoops. And, uh, or on the way back, why am I getting passed by everybody? And, and there's this familiarity to it where your brain kind of checks out for a little bit, and it's not that you're not, not paying attention, um, but it's just such a familiar, familiar drive that when you get there, your brain is already disposed of what you've, what you've just been through. And uh, your brain kind of goes into this um, autopilot kind of a mode. And again, that's, that's a normal thing. God designed our brains to do this. Um, and we are able to think about lots of other things while we drive uh, in the middle of that. And, and this morning, we're going to continue our, um, our series called Storyteller. And, and as we do that this morning, I'm a little nervous that it's going to end up kind of like that. Okay, that was, that's my hesitancy because I think we're going to look at this morning probably, I would put out probably the most well-known of Jesus' parables, that of the Good Samaritan. Now, there are lots of other parables that are well-known and people know them, but I would, I would say this. There is no law called prodigal son law. Okay, but there is a Good Samaritan law. And so in our culture, this is such a well-known sort of a story of, of this Good Samaritan that it has almost probably become so familiar that it's, it would be easy to check out. And, and to be entirely honest with you all, the, the temptation for me this week was to be like, oh, I'm preaching on the Good Samaritan. Well, that's easy. Point, 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 done, ready to go. And to not really spend any time wrestling with the text and really considering where this lands in my own life. And, um, and to be honest, this is a pretty, a pretty incredible story that Jesus tells. And as I've kind of dug into it in a fresh way, because I, I mean, I grew up in church. I'm a preacher's kid. My mom is my Sunday school teacher. I mean, I know this story. And uh, it, was, it was really kind of enjoyable, but also really challenging as I looked through this story once again this morning, or once again this week, um, in preparation for this morning. And, and so I hope that as we look at this, that it, it won't be such a familiar path that we, that we check out, or that we just let our minds go on an autopilot. And to be truthful, that is going to be easier for me than it will be for you, because I am... Um, I'm actively engaged in this. I'm the one getting to do the talking here. Um, but I hope that in your minds, and maybe even with your hands on a piece of paper or in your notes section on your phone or whatever it happens to be, that, um, that you'll be actively engaged, maybe asking some questions in your mind, maybe writing them down, and engaging in a fresh way with, with this story. Man, Jesus is a good storyteller, and we're gonna, and we're gonna get to that here in just a moment. But here's how we're going to do this, okay? We're going to read the story. It's not a long story, okay? It's pretty brief. We're going to read through it. And then what we're going to do is we're going to go back and we're going to reread through it. And as we reread the story, uh, we're kind of going to take it apart little by little and, and investigate what, 
what is in this story. And then what we're going to do is we're going we're to pan back out and we're going to look at it in the context of the rest of Luke chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, uh, I would encourage you to open it to Luke chapter 10. Or if you have a Bible app on your phone, Luke chapter 10 is where we are going to be. Um, if you have one with multiple versions on your phone, I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version, the ESV. And so um, that would be a good one, a good one to pull up. And I think that this is an important thing in, our, in the way that we approach the Bible to, to look at it in all of these places, to, to read it uh, at face value, which is what we're going to do first. But then also to really break it apart and say, what is it that Jesus is saying? And why did he choose these words or these people? Those kind of things are, are important questions for us to ask. But I think it's also equally as important for us to pan out and say, what does this have to do with everything else? And so that's kind of the way we're going to approach it this morning. And so off we go to Luke chapter 10. And this is going to be starting with verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Now that's a pretty straightforward story. Okay, um, there's a pretty straightforward even conclusion at the end. Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go do what, what, the, guy, what the guy just did. There we go. All right, we can leave and go have lunch. You know, that, that's, it, it's pretty straightforward in the story, but I want us to walk through and kind of look at what Jesus is communicating um, beyond just go and do likewise, uh, some of the other things that he is, he's communicating here, and even what's going on in the conversation between this man, this lawyer, and and Jesus. So going back to verse 25, it says, A lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I know his motives aren't good. Man, that's a good question. Right? That's a, that's a good question to ask. And it's a question that in that group of people, probably after, after this guy asks it, everyone's going, Whoa. Yeah, well, I wonder what Jesus is going to say here. That's a good question. In fact, uh, if, you, if you have your note, note sheet out, go ahead and write that question down. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
especially if you've never really considered that question, that's a good question to ask. Of course, Jesus, in a very Jesus-like way of doing it, he doesn't just say, oh, do this. Um, He asks him a question in return. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You're a lawyer. You know the law. You tell me. (laughs) And of course, the man man quotes the Old Testament and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. One of those, yeah. Thanks, Jesus. Yeah, good luck with that, lawyer. You know, just love God with every fiber of your being. Oh, yeah, and also love all the people around you who are just, who are terrible. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. It honestly kind of reminds me of, uh, one of probably the most intimidating passage of Scripture for me um, would be in Ephesians chapter 5 when it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's like, good luck with that, husbands, right? Man, that's a big call. And Jesus makes a similar call right here. He says, yeah, yeah, do that. Do that, eternal life is yours, buddy. Good job. You answered correctly. And of course, then uh, the the lawyer has to try to justify himself by asking his follow-up question. I read one, one commentator pointing out that really this guy is trying to take this law that he knew he could never keep and kind of pare it down to size and see if we can maybe crack down on who, who is it that I'm actually supposed to be loving here? That he's trying to pull it down to a, to a manageable, bite-sized piece that he can love these people and not have to love everyone else. And so he asks this question, and who is my neighbor? which again is a really good question. That first question of what shall I do to inherit eternal life would have added some tension in the room. The the people that were present would have been like, oh man, I wonder what Jesus is going to say. And then when the man answers and Jesus says, good answer, you got it right. Okay, okay, tension's gone. And then he asks this follow-up question and the tension is back. Who is my neighbor? You know, because likely some of the people present would have considered, you know, what do, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life, to be right with God? What do I need to do to, to be right with God? And that question is one that some of them may have been going, oh yeah, there's, there's some good answers to that. But then who is my neighbor? Well, I never thought about that. That's another good question to write down, to think about, to consider. Who is my neighbor? And of course, again, in Jesus-like fashion, he doesn't say, Oh, yeah, you know, Billy Bob and Janet who live next door to you, duh, they're your neighbor. Um, He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, well, obviously everyone. Okay, Jesus doesn't say those things. Again, in Jesus-like fashion, he tells a story. He doesn't answer it directly. He, He tells a story. And I think this is so, so wonderful that Jesus uses these stories because, let's be honest, if Jesus had just said, everyone, we probably wouldn't be talking about it today. But he tells this captivating story that we still talk about today. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he had passed by on the other side, or when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. 
Now, I've, I've heard lots of legitimate reasons why a priest and a Levite would pass by on the other side. In order to be able to perform their priestly duties, they had to be ceremonially clean. And if this guy was not just half dead, but if he was actually dead, or even if they were taking care of him and he died in that process, they would be unclean and unable to perform their duties. That's a pretty good excuse, right? You know, got a job to do. I'm on my way. Maybe they were just in a hurry, or it could be a trap. It wasn't uncommon on that road from Jerusalem to Jericho for, for robbers to, to use maybe someone who they've already robbed as bait. Or even to have one of their own act like they're hurt. And then when someone comes to help, got him. They swarm. So maybe they thought perhaps it's a trap, perhaps it's a scam. Or maybe they even thought it's his own fault. Everyone knows you don't travel by yourself on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was well known to be, to be a place where people would do things like that. Jesus uses a very realistic example here. So maybe there would be that thought of, well, you know, it's, it's his own fault. He did this to himself. Maybe he just needs to sit in it for a little while. Whatever the reason, Jesus doesn't say. But there are a lot of potentially legitimate reasons why they, they could have passed him by, and yet they, they do. And, but Jesus really doesn't focus all that much on them. They each get a verse. The robbers get a verse, the priest gets a verse, and the Levite gets a verse. Which is part of why we, we call this story the Good Samaritan, not uh, two bad Jews and a Good Samaritan. Okay, that kind of sounds like the beginning of a bad joke. A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walk into a bar. And... Anyway, uh, that's probably another thing there. But, uh, but, but they, only, they each get a verse apiece. And yet the Samaritan will actually end up getting the same amount talked about just him. He'll get three verses here. It says, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had Compassion. If you're, if you're following along in a, in a physical Bible, that'd be a good word to circle or underline or highlight is compassion. He had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. I tend to process things out loud. And so um, when, I was, when I was preparing for this, I was, I was talking with somebody and um, I said, yeah, yeah, any good, what's a, what's a good uh, insight? Maybe something that is not as common to, to be able to pull from uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. They said, well, you know, always have wine on hand. You know, that, I thought that was a really funny, uh, really funny comment on that because he pours on this oil and this wine to take care of him. And that's obviously not the point, but that's, anyway, it was a joke. Anyway, so, um, so yeah, so he brought him to an inn and he took care of him the next day. He take out, takes out two denarii, gives them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And Jesus spends significant time talking about the positive example of the Samaritan. I was reminded of, of a teacher I had in third grade, Mrs. Bruning. Uh, Mrs. Bruning was a wonderful teacher. She just had such a warm presence about her. Uh, and 
And what she would do, and I, I didn't notice this. I was in third grade, so this went right over my head. But something I've heard my parents, I heard my parents then, and even, um, even now sometimes they'll bring up, just her way of controlling her classroom was that um, she, would, she would not really draw attention to the kid who was acting up. So it wouldn't be, you know, Johnny, you need to knock off doing da 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 um, No, instead it would be, hey, have you, have you guys seen James over here? He's doing such a good job. Well done, James. He was done with his work. He finished early. And so he pulled out a book and started reading it. Isn't that great, class? And she would really focus heavily on praising this kid who had done the right thing. And so if you, you knew that if you were someone who was craving attention, like a lot of times kids who act up are, you knew that the way to get it from Mrs. Bruning was not to act up and do wrong things, although obviously it some point she would step in if that was necessary. Um, but, but really, if you wanted her attention, you had to do what was right. And Jesus here, something that's, that's interesting about this story that I had never really noticed before is that Jesus does not directly address the priest or the Levite. He doesn't say, those guys really messed it up. Instead, he just focuses on really praising and saying good things about this Samaritan. Now, this story would have been very revolutionary. Probably if you've grown up in church, you may, you may know that Samaritans were not exactly well-liked by Jews. Uh, in fact, probably the way that you could think of it is, um, maybe think of whoever the people group is that comes to mind when I say this phrase, those people. Think about that for a second. Who are, who are those people? Maybe don't say it out loud. Probably don't need to say it even to the person next to you. But there's, there's probably people. I know for, uh, for me in Lake Havasu City, Arizona, where I graduated high school, that was Kingman, okay? The people from Kingman, that was, that was what the people in my school, like, oh, those people up, up the mountain, okay? Um, that, was, that was who those people were. But even within a community, often there are, there are those people, Right? And the Samaritans to the Jews were those, those people. They were the ones with the sketchy morals. They were the ones with the bad family history. They were the ones that had, they were, they were those people. There's, again, there's, there's a lot of history to it to, to completely and totally oversimplify it. When they came, when the, when the Jews came back from exile in Babylon, there was, um, there was a real push for getting back to the, the purity of being Jewish. And the Samaritans did not necessarily follow through as far as, um, as the others on that. Again, that is a vast oversimplification. If you want to talk about the history of that, let me know. We can, we can wade through that. That'll be fun. But, um, but for our purposes this morning, the Samaritans were the people that, that were just so hated by Jews and looked down on by Jews. The Samaritans were those people, so much so that Jesus then goes on in verse 36, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer won't even say Samaritan. He says, the one who showed him mercy. <laughs> he won't even say Samaritan. He won't even say that the Samaritan could have possibly been the good guy. He'll say the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. In other words, hey, you Jewish, you Jewish lawyer, go be like a Samaritan, which would have just been so crazy and so backwards, so upside down. 
because of how much the Samaritans were hated. They were hated so much they actually became an insult to people. Jesus is actually called a Samaritan by some of the religious leaders at one point. And uh, there, was no, there was never any question about Jesus' Jewish heritage. Um, that, was, that was never in question. Um, but they called him a Samaritan as, as an insult. And so Jesus wraps up the story with this surprise ending where everything's flipped on its head, where the good guys, or the supposed good guys, end up being the bad guys, and, and the supposed bad guys end up being the good guys. And it's kind of similar to, you read the book of Jonah, and the good guy, Jonah, is the bad guy, and the, the bad guys, the Ninevites, were the good guys, and, and it's this first shall be last, last shall be first, and it's carrying on this tradition that Jesus is flipping everything upside down. Everything is getting flipped on its head by Jesus. If you want to gain your life, you lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, will find it. It's this whole reversal. It's this overturning of social norms. And Jesus purposefully uses the sketchiest kind of person he can find as his good example in this story. He wraps it up with a surprise ending where the Samaritan is the good guy. However, yeah, he, he just simply points out that the Samaritan is the one to emulate, not that you shouldn't be like these other guys, but that you should be following this example. And so we're going to pan out to, to the bigger picture of the chapter here because this whole chapter has, again and again, people missing the point. It's not that what the priest or the Levite are going to do in Jerusalem, it's not that what they're going to do is bad. They're just missing the point. At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus is getting ready to go out into, um, into this array of towns. And so what he does is he appoints 72. Okay, so verse 1 says, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So he sends them on there. And then if we, we skip down to verse 17, it says that the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus kind of celebrates with them for a moment. And then, but then in verse 20, he says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Which, that's a weird statement. It's like, man, that sounds pretty exciting, right? What does he say? He says, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You're missing the better thing because you're, ce you're celebrating this good thing instead of celebrating this, this better thing, this more incredible thing here. Then, of course, then we get to that, the story that we've, we've looked at in depth this morning of the Good Samaritan, where it's not that what the priest and Levite are doing are bad, but they're missing the heart of God. That, yeah, God is fine with what the priest's and the Levites would do on their, in their official job. But compassion. The Samaritan had compassion on this man who was beaten and left for dead. This man who was left out in the open, vulnerable. That's what, that's what Jesus says. That's, that's what's important here. Go be like that guy. 
Yeah, yeah, you can do like temple stuff or whatever, but be like that guy. Get involved, even, even though it's messy. And then at the, at the end of the chapter, it finishes with this story about Mary and Martha, who were the sisters of a man named Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. It's short, so I'll go ahead and just read it. As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. If you have siblings, you've probably had a similar conversation at some point. I know I have. Anyway, uh, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Is service bad? No. No, the things that Martha is doing, the, the hospitality that she's showing, are, they're good things. But the Son of God's in your living room, Martha, come on! Jesus! God become flesh! Emmanuel is in your living room, and you're worried about the dishes? Come on, Martha. And it seems like from Jesus, it seems like there's maybe a little more going on. You're anxious and troubled about many things. But man, Jesus was there. And she was worried about everything else on her list. God loves people who make lists. I appreciate people who make lists. My wife is a person who makes lists, and that makes our home a much better place to live. <laughs> uh, that we, we have things that get done in our house that probably would not get done if it were just left up to me, or at least they wouldn't get done very soon. Um, and so there, there's a really important place for, for the Marthas of the world. I don't think that Jesus is saying, yeah, just forget about it. Let, all the, let everything pile up, um, because elsewhere they're, they're praised for their hospitality towards, towards Jesus. But Mary has chosen the good portion. And so I want to I wrap up this morning by, by taking kind of a, a question from each of these, from each of these stories here. That's this. What, what good things are we celebrating instead of the better things? What are the good things we're celebrating instead of the better things? This is a question I, I try to ask myself about church stuff um, because it's, it's really easy to say, man, our attendance is going up. Well, that's great. I mean, I, I appreciate that. I love the fact that you are here this morning. I appreciate that. But man, is our bottoms in seat, is that... Is that, the, is that the better thing for us to celebrate? Surely there's something better that we oh yeah, this is going on, this is great. We need to be constantly considering what, what are the good things that we're celebrating that are causing us to miss the even better things that are going on that God is at work in and doing, not the least of which being our own salvation, that through Jesus we can have our names written in heaven. 
from the story of, of the prodigal son? What are you preoccupied with that is keeping you from stepping toward the things that God cares about? What are you so preoccupied with that is keeping you from stepping toward the things that God cares about? And let's just be honest. The things that God cares about are messy. Okay? It was for the, for the Samaritan, it cost money. It cost him in the work of his, of his animal. Probably getting blood all over his animal. Cost him in oil and wine. Cost him in time. Even to come back and check on the man. It was costly. And to be perfectly honest, often, it's not that we don't care or we don't feel like, oh man, it, I wish that person wasn't in that circumstance. But we just don't have time. We're too busy. I'm too busy. And, and with this parable, just to be you know, a little transparent here, especially for someone who works at a church, the role of the priest and the Levite hit real close to home. Where you're on your way to church stuff, well, I, I'm already running late, I just don't have time to help. That's hard. That's a hard thing. When we're preoccupied with things, even church things, and they, keep, they can keep us from stepping toward the things that God really cares about, about compassion and mercy. From the story of Mary and Martha, what, what good activities are monopolizing your time and getting in the way of pursuing the best things? What good activities are monopolizing your time and getting in the way of pursuing the best things? pursuing Jesus. Ironically, for Martha, it was in her very service of Jesus that she missed Jesus. She missed pursuing him. And yet, in this, there's, all of this kind of brings to mind one more kind of set of questions here, and that's this, how do we, how do we know the difference, Right? How do we know the difference between the, the, the good thing and the, and the better thing? How do you know the difference? How do I know that what I'm, uh, what I'm going to church to do is, is more or less important than whatever comes up on the way? How do we know, how do we know these things? You may or may not like my answer because this answer is going to take time. We have to meditate on God's word. Like, uh, like the Psalm, Psalm 1 talks about how you meditate on God's word day and night. We meditate on God's word. We ask the question, what is it that God really cares about? We try to find out what is it that God cares about. He describes himself as Lord... He's gracious and slow to anger, abounding in mercy and in loving kindness. That might be a good place to start. Look at the ways that God describes himself. 
But asking the question, what is it that God really cares about? As you read through the stories of Jesus, you read through the Old Testament, you ask that question again and again. What is it that God cares about? Even when these circumstances come up in your life, you say, what is it that God cares about here? And as you ask it, I hope that what you'll see, what you'll come to see is that what God cares about, at least from this parable, is those people. God cares about those people, the ones who will make you, you know, we don't talk about ceremonially uncleanness, um, but the people who will make you societally unclean. What are they doing hanging out with that person? I hope you'll see that, that those people are the very people that God cares about and that the answer to Jesus' question that he was asked, who is my neighbor? You know what his answer is? You are. Be one. Let's pray together.